said, Kirk, can you move? Can you walk? He goes, yep, I'm good to go. Right about that time, our two teammates came running into our cell and said, fire in the hole. So we all laid on top of Kurt. Boom! It's December 1989, and American Kurt Muse is residing in Panama. But not at home. For over nine months, he has been held in the infamous prison Carcel Modelo, a three-story concrete monstrosity built to house 250 detainees that at times held as many as 3,000. Some call it the Cemetery for the Living. Day after day since his arrest, Kurt has received a visit from a guard who would come to his door and say, It's my job to shoot you if there's rescue attempts. Don't be trying to plan an escape, whatever, because you're not going to make it. Unknown to Kurt, help is on the way. Back in the U.S., by order of the presidency, a team of elite soldiers is being assembled to get him out. Their mission, Operation Acid Gambit, would mark the beginning of a bold military assault that would not only impact Kurt's life, but millions of Panamanians for years to come. I'm Donnie Dust, United States Marine Corps veteran and world-renowned survival expert. This is Rescue. Today's episode, Rescue from the Cemetery of the Living. I am raised in Texas and uh, joined the military from there in 1982. This is Kelly Venden. After enlisting in the Army, Kelly had only one aim, to become an elite soldier. I knew that I wanted to be tested and tried, and I wanted to be part of the the better groups because I had seen the general purpose forces, if you will and uh, wasn't too appealing to me. After seeing a pamphlet for the Ranger Battalion down at the recruitment station, complete with a picture of a soldier jumping out of a plane on the front, he was sold. The Ranger program is a leadership program. Rangers represent the best qualities of the American combat leadership experience, past and present. The Rangers, uh, when I got there, It was the greatest place to learn how to be a soldier. Kelly served with the Rangers for six years, and that's when he first encountered Delta Force. And of course, we supported uh, Delta on many occasions. Like, yeah, those guys are pretty cool. But, you know. Rangers lead the way. Maybe one day. Delta Force was created in 1977. Up until that moment, the U.S. Army didn't have a designated Special Forces unit. What they did have was a collection of soldiers who provided training and medical care to indigenous resistance fighters. 
Well, what America needed was not a bunch of teachers, but a bunch of doers. Set the standard for the best in training, leadership, simply getting the job done. And so Delta Force was born, a select unit filled with highly trained soldiers shrouded in secrecy. Few of my Ranger leadership started disappearing on me. It's like, where are these guys going? Well, you know, we can't tell you where they went. I was getting older, at least in the military sense, and I knew that if I was going to go elsewhere and be able to perform the way I needed to, then I needed to go as well. So in 1988, I went through the tryout course and made it. As you might imagine, the training Delta Force goes through is rigorous and demanding, designed to produce soldiers of the highest caliber. Um, the training had to be so difficult because you had to try everything that could go wrong. The first time Kelly visits Panama is on one of these training missions. They head deep into the rainforest. Jungle training number one is, it's one of those things that really sucks because everything in the jungle sticks you, bites you, will eat you, sting you, cut you, kill you. It's black at nighttime, can't see anything. Not my favorite place to live. Also in Panama, while Kelly is being eaten alive in the jungle, is Kurt Muse. Having been born in the United States, Kurt relocated to Panama with his parents in the 1950s. By the late 80s, now married with children, Kurt is running a printing company in the city. Then, one of his customers prints something that the government doesn't agree with. At the time, Panama is ruled by the dictator, General Manuel Noriega. Noriega amassed a huge personal fortune through drug trafficking. What Noriega is perhaps best known for is his murderous grip on power and his ruthless control of the media. He dictated the narrative on every level, and anyone who didn't toe the line would suffer at the hands of the Panamanian Defense Force, also known as the PDF. After Noriega hears about Kurt's printing company, he has the PDF burn the place to the ground, killing one of Kurt's friends in the process. Kurt decides, enough is enough. He joins forces with a group of Panamanian friends, and together they begin broadcasting anti-Noriega messages over the radio. They call themselves the Voice of Liberty. Panamá, transmite la voz de la libertad.
resources are limited and they aren't able to transmit with much power. So Kurt and his team travel back and forth to Miami, smuggling equipment back over the border. When the CIA first catch wind of this, they aren't happy. Because here's the thing, for a long time, Noriega has actually been an ally of the US government. But they are fast growing tired of his involvement with drug trafficking and his increasing unpredictability. So, eventually, they begin to support Kurt's mission with the intention to ultimately overthrow Noriega's regime. And this allows Kurt to plan the biggest coup yet. An interruption of Noriega's official state address. A speech that Noriega will deliver in front of 20,000 people and broadcast around the country. As soon as Noriega starts speaking, Kurt hits the transmit button and the whole of Panama receives the sounds of the voice of liberty. Challenging the gag of tyranny, this is the voice of encouragement of the oppressed. It was a message of hope and freedom. For their efforts, Kurt and his friends are quickly elevated to number one enemies of the state and are hunted down like dogs. On April 7, 1989, during a return trip from Miami, a member of Noriega's PDF sees Kurt walking through the airport. He is immediately arrested, interrogated for four days, then thrown into prison to await execution. They threw him in a Medela prison, which historically, I guess, had been a prison that most folks don't come out of. Not a great place to be. Corcel Modelo is located in downtown Panama, a stone's throw away from the Comandancia, the Panamanian equivalent of the Pentagon, and the U.S. headquarters of Southern Command, the U.S. military unit that had previously cooperated with Noriega. Kurt's arrest is a clear provocation to the United States government. His situation is dire. Not only is the prison in direct view of Noriega's military headquarters, as if that didn't make getting to him hard enough, but a PDF soldier has also been given the sole job of watching Muse 24-7. His orders are to shoot him on sight if anyone tries to rescue him. But there are two crucial things that Kurt does have going for him. One is the U.S. Air Force Base Howard. The base is located just west of Panama City in the Panama Canal Zone, an area once governed by the United States to oversee the building of the Panama Canal. It became Panamanian territory in 1979, but the base and the U.S. presence remained. And two is Delta Force. We were told that he was to be rescued. It was looked at as a mission, just like any other training mission that we would go on. Hey, here's our job, you know, figure it out and get it done without hurting anybody, you know, of our own, of course, and get in and get out as fast as we could. That Kurt hadn't been executed already 
was largely due to the fact that his wife was working for the U.S. Department of Defense at the time. So as her spouse, Kurt had certain rights, including regular checkups by an American doctor. This doctor was then able to relay information to the Delta team, like where Kurt was being held. That enabled him to bring back intel, of course, so that we could figure out exactly where he was, what floor, what cell he was in. The doctor's information allows Delta Force to draw an incredibly detailed sketch of the prison layout and makes clear potential threats they'll have to deal with. There was a guard position in, the, in an office directly across the hallway from Kurt Muse. His instructions were that if there was any rescue attempt, his job was to make sure that Kurt did not get out of there alive. If you've ever seen one of those Hollywood heist movies, you'll know that scene when the thieves pull out the floor plan of the bank and it cuts to a slickly edited montage of how exactly the robbery will go down. Well, that's pretty much what Delta Force do. They actually build the prison where Kurt is being kept. Our military built an exact replica of the Modelo prison in Florida. We were able to remove each floor and figure out how that we would get from either the roof or the ground. Uh, the quickest way to his cell so that we could get there as fast as possible. One, to secure him, and two, to make sure that the guard force did not have time to uh, put a bullet in him before we got to him. This rescue is all about speed. The quicker they can get in and out of the building, the better. On the surface, at least, the plan is a simple one. Delta Force are to enter the prison via the roof, storm down two flights of stairs, and engage the enemy until they reach the second floor where Kurt is located. Once Kurt is found, they will neutralize the guard, blow the cell door open, and extract Kurt. From there, they will take him back up to the roof and safely back to the U.S. Army base. All done in less than six minutes. The timeline really was based upon how fast we could get on the roof, get down the stairs, and get to Kurt's cell before that guard could react. But how exactly are they planning to land on the roof of a Panamanian prison in the dead of night? The Hughes 500 Little Bird, those things are an amazing machine. The Little Birds, also nicknamed the Killer Egg, are, as you guessed it, shaped like an egg. They have a glass front and benches on the side. If you've seen pictures, they usually have soldiers hanging off from every direction. They can be flown into small areas. They can be landed on small building tops. They can be pretty much put anywhere the pilots want to put them. The little birds are incredibly agile machines, but it's all dependent on weight. When the team assembles at Howard Air Force Base, just to the west of Panama City, there are some tough decisions to make. So when we're in the hangar, getting prepped to go, 
the helos had to do a weight distribution because they had to fly in only so far but of course you have to have enough fuel to loiter and you know for emergencies and then fly back to howard so they came back to us and said okay we are overweight and we need you to leave some of your gear behind to get lighter we're like uh, okay what kind of gear would you like us to leave well your armored plates are pretty heavy if you can just leave those behind we'd appreciate it. i don't think so eventually kelly and his team negotiate being able to keep their body armor but the helo's been stripped to its bare bones just so they can carry enough fuel to get in and out as planned as Kelly and his team are rehearsing, the situation in Panama is rapidly deteriorating. A failed coup attempt by members of his own defense force makes General Noriega even more paranoid. Under increasing pressure from President George Bush to resign, Noriega decides instead to declare war on America. The following night, a U.S. serviceman, Lieutenant Robert Paz, is shot dead some say he was merely traveling unarmed into Panama City for dinner with three colleagues. Others, that they were in fact on a reconnaissance mission and carrying pistols. Either way, the United States government has had enough. Five days later, President Bush makes an announcement. General Noriega's reckless threats and attacks upon Americans in Panama created an imminent danger to the 35,000 American citizens in Panama, and that is why I directed our armed forces to protect the lives of American citizens in Panama and to bring General Noriega to justice in the United States. President Bush orders the U.S. military to invade Panama and capture Noriega for themselves. Luckily, for Kelly and his team, as it happens, this invasion is set to take place at the same exact time as Kurt's rescue. Now, instead of trying to sneak in alone, they will be flying under the cover of gunfire and missiles. We had trained for this mission for months. We were extremely confident. So when we were getting dressed out in the hangar, it was a very jovial, happy time. Like, yeah, we're finally getting to go. It's about time. I carried a boombox that I kept playing Riders on the Storm in the hangar as we we're getting ourselves dressed up because it was fitting. We were about ready to ride into a storm. So we got we got dressed out. One of our commanders gathered us around and said, okay guys, this is it. You've been training hard for this. We saying God bless America. And walked out to the aircraft. Kelly and his team get on the helicopter and take off. Once they're up in the air, the little birds take cover behind a hill west of the prison as they wait for just the right moment to fly in. The tension in the air is palpable. I'm looking down into a black jungle. And then it's time to go. We just high five and said, yeah, let's get it on. Under cover of darkness, Four little birds rise up above the hill and fly full throttle into Panama City. 
Sitting alongside Kelly in the helicopter is his friend and fellow soldier, Pat. All I could say was, dude, this is awesome. It was just like, let's, let's do this. We heard the first two helicopters land, and of course there was a little bit of gunfire because the guard force was being shot at and returning fire. We also had the AC-130 gunship flying overhead. They have these spotlights that can light the whole area up like daylight. They have 105 millimeter cannon and 40 millimeter guns and mini guns. They're taking out targets, things all around us. So once we landed on the rooftop, it was fireworks time. It was a comforting sound, let me put it that way, knowing that our guys were protecting us. As the deafening blast of gunfire thunders all around them, Kelly and his crew make it through the firestorm unscathed and touch down safely on the roof. When the helo lands, we unhook. We run to the three-foot wall that was around the top of the prison. So the helos could then take off. Now, it's time to focus. They run to the rooftop door that had been opened by the first team. Kelly's team enter the prison and clear the first set of stairs down to the second floor. Of course, it was dark, so we're using flashlights. We raced as fast as we could down the stairs to Kerr's floor. Uh, a couple guards were there. They were dispatched. Our other two teammates went into the guards across the hallway and took care of him, make sure he wasn't a player. And then... We got to Kurt's cell. It's Pat and Kelly's responsibility to go to Kurt's cell to make sure he's okay and get his cell door open. So we got to the door. We're like, hey, Kurt, you in there? They hear nothing. Pat tries again. Hey, Moose, is that you? Instead of Muse, Kurt Muse, he said, hey, Moose, is that you? Kurt, knowing that if a rescue attempt was going to be tried, that that guard was supposed to shoot through the cell door, right? So Kurt was hiding in the bathroom, not knowing what to expect. So when Pat goes, hey, Moose, is that you? You can see these two little eyeballs peek around the corner, and Pat's like, hey, we're here to get you out. And uh, you can imagine the, uh, the relief. Kurt's doctor provided key intel that there's a huge padlock on the cell door. The kind of padlock you would find on a bank door. I mean, this thing was massive. Pat pulls out a shotgun filled with special pellets designed to blow the padlock clean off. He did two or three shots with the shotgun. It didn't even phase it. So I pulled off my... Uh, bolt cutters, and he and I together cut that lock off. They get inside his cell and check him out to make sure he's mobile. So Kirk, can you move? Can you walk? He goes, yep, I'm good to go. Right about that time, our two teammates came running into our cell and said, fire in a hole. So we all laid on top of Kurt. Boom! 
After struggling to break open another guard's door, they had been forced to blow it off. They ran back across there, made sure that he wasn't a player anymore. When they came back out, we had Moose wrapped up with his helmet and his vest. And we said, dude, we're ready to go. Word passes to the rest of the team. They're bringing Kurt back up to the roof. He is the most precious cargo in the world to Kelly right now. Because, you know, you do all that work. Him take a stray bullet, man. That would screw up our night. They get Kurt safely up to the roof and into one of the little birds. But there's a major problem. These little birds are designed to carry two pilots and four people. We came out with two pilots and six people. Every single gram of weight had been accounted for on the way in. Remember, they even had to strip the little birds down to make sure they could carry enough fuel. But now, Kelly is adding two extra humans to the mix. Kurt and one of our guys, Tom, who was his escort, basically. So the helicopter, at its limits flying in, was way over its limits flying out. With everyone on board, the pilot does his best to get the Hilo airborne as they come under heavy enemy fire. It picked up and it teetered on the three-foot wall that was around the roof. So what had happened is it actually crashed into a parking lot. Pat and I were on the left side, like, oh crap, we're done. The little bird slams into the ground, but mercifully, Everyone survives the crash. But now, they're dangerously exposed and immobile. They need to get out of there fast. So we unhooked and we got off to pull security. Pull security means you get away from the vehicle and you go find a place that has cover, quickly. Kelly and Pat find a couple doors they can hide behind and scan for the enemy. Within seconds, they're being called back to the chopper. While we were looking for potential enemy people coming towards us, or civilians just being nosy, one of our guys came around the front of the airplane and weighed this back on. And then the pilot's like, yeah, get back on there, get back on, get back on. So, we moved back to our seat, our bench seat, and because I was looking at everything, trying to anticipate where a bad guy might shoot from, I forgot to hook back up to the airplane. He's not secured to the seat. The helicopter, containing Kelly, Pat, and Kurt, tries to take off from the parking lot. But it can't get any lift. 
So instead, it flies along the floor, down on the road between two apartment blocks, straight toward a set of power lines. The crew braced for impact, only for the pilot to pull the chopper down just in time. So we, we, we skated underneath those power lines. He actually squished it down. The landing gear actually spread apart to lower the overall height of the helicopter so that he could slide underneath those power lines. I've never seen that before in my life. These guys are phenomenal pilots. The helo shoots out between the apartment blocks and turns left into the street. The intention is to try and use the road to gain enough speed so that the chopper can get some altitude. But disaster strikes. As we were flying down the street, passing all these apartment buildings, we took fire. Bullets hit the helicopter, took out the tail rotor. But it isn't just the tail rotor. Rounds came into the engine and caught me between my legs into my gut, which punched me like a professional fighter, just doubled me over. Had that vest not been on me, it would have probably gone all the way through. And because I had not hooked up, I basically fell off the bench seat. Pat tried to catch me, couldn't hang on to me. So I beat the helicopter to the ground and I landed face first on the pavement um, with the helicopter landing behind me. Kelly falls head first from the equivalent of three floors high. Service headgear in those days was essentially a plastic skateboard helmet. I landed basically on my forehead, my nose, and my upper chest. Ended up having a concussion, uh, broken nose. I broke my upper four ribs and ended up with a punctured lung before the night was over. If you're trying to imagine what Kurt must have been thinking at this point, it's probably something along the lines of, what in the world have I gotten myself into? The guy who's escorting me is knocked out. He's laying there unconscious. The three other helicopters that flew back to Howard knew that we had gone down. Uh, They were told not to come back out looking for us, which of course made them mad. Now, It's just a waiting game. They're sitting ducks, praying that friendly forces arrive before Noriega's PDF does. Then, from around the corner, those prayers are answered. Armored personnel carriers race towards them down the street. They are bundled on the back of the vehicles, embrace themselves to run the gauntlet out of Panama City. What they encounter is not Noriega's troops, but Panamanian civilians who cheer them as they leave. Kurt remained unconscious throughout it all. I woke up maybe a day and a half later on a medevac bird. I was in a stretcher position 
sort of at the top of the airplane. So when I woke up, I was looking at the top of the airplane on the inside. I'm like, where am I? I hear other people sort of moaning and, you know, asking for whatever, for a nurse or something. And then I look around and I'm like, oh man. They land at a military hospital in San Antonio, Texas. Kelly is stretchered off and taken inside. When they were stepping down, they dropped me. So I rolled off my stretcher onto the ground, adding injury to the injury. They're like, oh my goodness, we're so sorry. Kelly later found out that just one hour after the operation at 1.45 a.m., Kurt was delivered safely to Howard Air Force Base in the Canal Zone. The next time Kelly saw Kurt was months later. We're all sitting there in the in a big conference room, and he comes in and says, hey, yeah, Kurt, you know, this is Kurt Muse. There are tears and hugs as he thanks the team for saving his life. Um, he was uh, emotional. And... Uh, You know, that's where he was able to really tell his stories. The team knew little about the man they risked their lives to save. So Kurt took the opportunity to tell them more about the dangerous activities he'd been engaged in prior to his imprisonment. It earned their respect. The cool thing is, is that every year since the rescue, um, he has called each and every one of us, you know, just to say thanks. And, uh, you know, Here's what I've been up to, what you've been up to, you know, how's the family, how's everything, and every single year. So uh, it's amazing. Amazing guy. Operation Acid Gambit is extremely significant. Not just for Kelly or Kurt, it was the first successful hostage rescue in the history of the U.S. military. And I was there, man. I was there. (laughs) You've been listening to Rescue with Donnie Dust. Rescue is a Sony Music Entertainment production. Thanks to all the contributors for sharing their story with us. Rescue is produced by Richard McLean Smith. The executive producer is Louisa Field. The junior producer is Martha Miller. Scoring and sound design by Gulliver Tickle. Music composed by Eleni Hassabas. The production coordinator is Lily Hambly. The production manager is Kat Moran. Thanks to Jez Nelson, Chris Skinner, and Julia Stevenson. If you like this podcast, then do check out other Sony podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>